The Women of Color STEM Conference and the U.S. Forest Service presents Women in Natural Resources, Overcoming the Green Ceiling, a professional development seminar featuring National Program Manager Beatrice Wilson, Assistant Director of Engineering Emily Blount, Station Director Monica Lear, Associate Deputy Chief Tina Terrell, Chief Executive Leslie Weldon, and Research Project Leader Grizel Gonzalez. All organizations know that they must provide opportunities for employees at all levels to build capacity and provide leadership development. Natural resources professionals also know that they must recruit and develop leaders that mirror the changing demographics of the country. What are the strategies needed to recruit and retain new leaders in public service? Are requirements different for younger versus more mature professionals? Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference and the U.S. Forest Service presents Women in Natural Resources, Overcoming the Green Ceiling, a professional development seminar featuring Beatrice Wilson, Emily Blount, Monica Lear, Tina Terrell, Leslie Weldon, and Grizel Gonzalez. Hi, my name is Monica Lear. I am the acting station director at the Rocky Mountain Research Station in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I work for the USDA Forest Service. Today, we're going to be talking, our title is Women in Natural Resources Overcoming the Green Ceiling. And really, we're not really talking about what that sounds like. What we're really going to talk about today is mentorship and how important mentorship is for professional development. Um, we have a wonderful panel here today, a whole bunch of my colleagues that I'm very proud of. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to them. And then we're going to allow some time for you to ask some questions. So we're going to get started with introductions. So um, panel, mm -hmm. I would like you to introduce yourself by saying what your name is, what your position is, where you work, and give the audience some idea about our deputy area situation, how the Forest Service is sort of split up into um, parts. So we'll start with Beatrice Wilson. Good morning, and thank you, Monica. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm Beatrice Wilson. I am a National Program Manager for Urban and Community Forestry at the USDA Forest Service. I am uh, located in Washington, D.C. at our agency's headquarters, and uh, I am settled in the State and Private Forestry Division of the Forest Service, well, Deputy Area of the Forest Service, and um, that's a unique position for us is with regard to forestry because that's our opportunity we spend the majority of our time working in states and communities um, for myself in urban forestry, uh, metropolitan areas, talking about those state and private owned um, green spaces, forested lands and trees. I'm excited to be here. Good morning, my name is Grisel Gonzalez. I'm a soil scientist and the project leader at the International Institute of Tropical Forestry in Puerto Rico. And uh, the Institute is a little microcosm of the Forest Service in that we have an administrative unit, we have a research and development unit, and also state and private forestry and international programs. Um, so the group that I'm in, it's within the research, and I lead a unit that is composed of about 30 employees, 10 scientists, and then about 10 uh, technicians, 10 professionals, and the mission is really to deliver science uh, for the conservation and management of the American tropics. Most of the work is done in the Caribbean because the lands that we manage are within Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, but we also carry on missions um, in Central and South America and throughout the Caribbean. Right now we have scientists working in Dominican Republic, um, Nicaragua, and Brazil. Yeah. Well, good morning. My name is Emily Blount, and I am the Assistant Director for Engineering, Technology, and Geospatial Services for the Forest Service. And I work and I'm aligned under the Washington office as well within the National Forest System. So that's a separate deputy chief area within our organization. And the National Forest System 
um, really is more of the boots on the ground management of the approximate 193 million acres of national forest and grasslands. So the work that takes place literally across all of those lands at the district ranger level, forest supervisors level, uh, the engineers that work under that to support access for the public to have access to their national forests. Um, that's the deputy chief area that I fall under. And I just happened to say that um, before coming to the Forest Service, I really scratched my head a little bit as to what exactly is an engineer within the Forest Service. It's land. It's, you know, what exactly would an engineer do? And we'll have more time to get into that. But the portfolio that I help manage uh, is, is quite, um, quite all-encompassing. You think about the traditional engineering type of infrastructure assets, roads, dams, communication towers, facilities, bridges. Um, but there's a lot of non-traditional, if you will. There's a tremendous amount of environmental cleanup from past mining operations. We also have a technology and development center that oversees products, um, test products before they're applied and used on our national forest. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of remote sensing, the use of LIDAR technology, um, a three-dimensional elevation type platform to make our business decisions. Uh, we also have one of the most robust fleets, uh, so whether there are uh, things to support fire, um, uh, equipment needs, aviation needs, so our vehicles, our fleet portfolio. So those are the type of things that an engineer uh, would have multiple hats within the, the forest system. Good morning, everyone. My name is Leslie Weldon, and my current role is Chief Executive for Work Environment and Performance in the Forest Service, um, and I've worked you know, over the last several decades across all the different functions for the um, agency. And as um, Emily was saying, those public lands belong to every citizen of the United States. Um, so the work that I do in this new role, it's very new. It's one, it's just one year of establishing a new branch in the Forest Service that is um, purposely turning its attention to how we lead in our, our work environments. So everything you think about related to um, you know, the, the programs that we have for ensuring that we are training our employees well so that we um, uh, can minimize harassment. It's an issue that's come up within our agency. Um, improve our ability to live our um, values that we've just named as an agency, a code and commitments. Um, our ability to make sure that we are purposely developing the skills and all of our employees that allow us to handle and manage conflict well, hold each other accountable. Um, and uh, the agency has moved from a place where we had those functions kind of scat scattered in a bunch of different places to where we're purposely you know, aspiring to be a great uh, place to work, especially to ensure that all of our employees work in a, an environment where they can thrive, where they're respected, uh, where they... Um, um, are free from harassment and, and safe. As you heard others talk, you know, we work in, um, you know, we work in uh, every type of forest land across the country, from the urban areas to local communities to the, the national forest lands. And I think we have a presence in probably close to 700, 800 communities across the country with all these different type of work going on. Um, and so the position I'm in is one that is establishing a framework for how we lead strongly with the quality of our employees' experiences, um, with how we show up with, uh, with each other inside the organization, and then also how we deliver our best um, benefits to the, the public and communities that, that we work in. And uh, that's, I also serve on our executive leadership team, um, which is the um, top level of the organization that provides the strategic um, framework strategic goals for the long term for the agency, and then what our operational processes are for delivering those. So thanks for everyone that's stepping in. We're looking forward to having a good conversation with you. So thank you, panel. And um, I'm going to take this opportunity <clears throat> to let everyone know that um, we are very excited to have two award winners this year that will get their awards at the gala. So I'm hope hoping that you'll stay here through Saturday night so you can see that. But one of them is Leslie Weldon and she's receiving a Career Achievement Award in government. So we're really proud, um, proud of you, Leslie. Thank you. So um, looking around the room, it looks like folks in this room, and it's a stretch, are at all stages of their careers. And um, our panel's gonna talk about how you're going to look, why mentoring is important, 
And how are you going to look and find mentors throughout that career? I'll say for myself that um, I've been at it for a while. So when I started my career, most of my mentors were men. And um, I'm happy to say that as I have gone through my career, I've been able to find women also who can mentor me and help me through my career. And it's a, it's a very commonplace thing now, right? But there was a time when it wasn't that common. So what we're going to ask the panel to address next is, um, I'd like you to describe who your mentors are and how you selected them. Okay, well, um, thank you for the question. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I work in urban and community forestry, which is slightly different from the traditional role of a forester in the USDA Forest Service. The majority of my work is done in the inner cities, um, partnering with uh, corporations, nonprofits, educational institutions to bring not only more awareness around trees, but also to educate um, those communities who may be underserved with regard to tree uh, and canopy cover. So I would say that um, <clears throat> my selection of mentor was um, even smaller than a typical Forest Service employee because I, I'm not a traditional forester. I learned about trees and the biology of trees work, walking sidewalks uh, in metropolitans across, this, across the country. So uh, coming in, I would say that my from a trust factor because I'm first generation historically black college graduate. So I was looking for me and a mentor. So I was looking for a black woman. Um, unfortunately, not available. Not in urban forestry. Uh, I started my career in Atlanta, which is a fairly uh, cultural, you know, it's like the Hollywood of the South. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I couldn't find myself in an immediate situation in my office. And so I have um, my first cluster of mentors were actually the administrative staff. Um, these were black women who'd had um, careers in government, careers in the Forest Service, but they were able to mentor me in a way that wasn't um, technical career driven, but um, being present and being confident in my role of government service. Uh, and then I would say shifting as I grew into my career, um, my next two quote unquote mentors because I've always had a mentoring village and not just one person because like I said, I'm in a unique career field. Uh, I'm a unique person coming into that career field. So um, my, I wanted to make sure that I was getting fed with what I needed and not necessarily following a roadmap that had been placed for those in front of me. So um, white males and not just white males in our agency, but white males who had daughters my age um, and so I don't know if I would call that a mentor or an ally, but I absolutely know that that's where we connected. Um, some of our conversations often um, were around the, what opportunities was I given, what doors, uh, what tables was I not being invited to, and always some kind of way right back to them talking about their daughters and their career aspirations and how they were looking to go into a STEM or natural resources or conservation field. Um, and they would, I don't know if they were paying it forward, um, but it worked for me and it worked for them. And so moving forward and up into my career as I left Atlanta and came into DC, I was able to find more women of color, um, but I also found myself shifting gears and going into, going outside my agency looking for mentors. So um, there were women in corporate America, there were women on the Hill, and when I spent my time at the White House, there were women who were at the previous White House that I really found an opportunity to get a village from and mentor myself. So that's how I've grown my chain of mentor and my village, but it's always with the emphasis on myself and what I needed at a certain point in my career. Um, so I think through my career, um, the, the mentors or the role models that I have been um, identified um, have changed. For example, when I was doing my master's or my PhD, it was, um, the lead scientist for a particular lab or group, um, the one that usually uh, I will identify and go through um, for that um, guidance. And then later it was the, the lead of, uh, of an institution um, once I had my, my PhD. And he was a, a white male 
um, um, also with several actually daughters. <laughs> um, so maybe there was a, uh, some sort of a connection there. But I'll, I'll look at people that I, I admire for their leadership, for their presence, um, for their organizational skills, um, their communication skills. So to me, these were people that were able to stand in a room and very clearly explain what the objectives uh, of a particular project or a mission were, and they uh, will follow through with actions of what they were um, really um, trying to convey. But uh, I think I wanna step back and, and say that um, as I was growing up, I found um, just within my family um, a particular role models. And that was like my, my grandma from my mom's side, my grandpa from my dad's side, and even my own parents. Um, and I think all, they have been a constant all through my career um, in that they really um, anchor me in those core values of being honest and just keep working and um, in providing for your family and kind of being center of who you are. Um, and I think um, as you grow up, it's good to have mentors that will pull you through the different situations, but it's really good to have this base that they have known you from uh, day zero. Um, so I, I wanna recognize that. So thank you. So I came to work with the Forest Service about eight years ago, and it really wasn't until coming to the Forest Service that I had heard of a formal mentoring program. And I'm pretty seasoned in my career and have come up through a lot of different agencies within federal government as well as the private sector. But it, it truly was refreshing to hear that there was a formal mentoring program and not only the, the mentors, but the mentees. Um, so. I, I've grown to understand the need for that and, I, and, and value that. But in thinking back on my own personal experiences growing up and coming up through um, a traditional male uh, degree, civil engineering and construction was my focus, uh, my, my experience was, was quite different. So when I finished school, I worked for the private sector and I started with a commercial real estate developer in the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. And, and I was literally on the, on the construction site with a hard hat and boots and, and loving it, but uh, very few uh, people like me, very few females that were there on the ground working and, and a lot of different skill sets and educational backgrounds and, and those types of things. And so there really wasn't um, a mentor that I can point to and say this individual is who I gravitated to. But what I will say is that I, I started to just look at individuals who could command the presence of others. You know, what, what made that person, um, people would come to them and respect what they were saying and they were truly listening to what they were saying and they would ask good questions back to them. What was it about that person that was different perhaps from another individual who you could tell people were tuned out? They just did not either have the respect for or the interest in. So a lot of it from my perspective was, was observing, observing the characteristics of people, of all people, whether they were your, your plumber running plumbing lines underground, whether they were the electrician, whether they were the bank coming in to inspect the project uh, to see if the, the costs were outrunning the loan value. Um, all levels of that organization, I really just try to listen and watch and observe. And then from that, I would try to go to those individuals and, and just have one-on-one -on -one conversations with and, and start to fill that, that trust and that building up. Um, again, trying to learn from them what was their, um, how did they view things and describe things and um, make it a more of an inclusive work environment. Because it was very difficult. I, I will tell you, it was very difficult. Um, I was uh, pregnant on that job site and I had to climb up to the roof to inspect the top of this uh, roof uh, project and I thought you know I felt that I had to do that as a female but certainly that wasn't the expectation that the other individuals on the ground have and it wasn't until that person that I trusted said you know you don't have to do this at this stage of your career and this stage of your pregnancy so part of that was feeling open and having that sense of trust and honesty with that individual to know that it wasn't detrimental to who I was as an engineer the fact that I was also female and, and pregnant at the time on the job site um, but as I went further into my career and, and into federal government, um, the first job I had was with the Air Force. Most of my career has been within the Department of Defense. And the first job I had with the Air Force, they set me down as a, as a new engineer within them. And they, they had a structure in place. And I'll never forget it. It was a, a triangular uh, pyramid structure. And they said, 
you, know, you kind of are here at the base of the pyramid. You know, you're coming in at this level of our organization. And you want to be, if you want to be at the peak, the, the pinnacle, these are the steps that we value as a culture within the Air Force. These are the things that we value that you'll, you'll have greater ability to move up into the agency. And here are some of the levels of the organization and the people that are in them. So from that, you, you really take it upon yourself. Uh, you say, okay, I do want to move up. I want to be at that next level. I want to work my way to, to that pinnacle. And so what does that organizational value? And it certainly was the master's degree, getting your professional engineer's license. Uh, at the time, I had my licensed general contractor uh, license as well. But then moving to the next level of the agency, going from the base level to perhaps the MAGCOM level, uh, taking an overseas assignment, all of these things were um, areas that they valued. And within those, you try to find mentors that you know have excelled and, and form those relationships with. So again, it wasn't a formal thing that I really set out thinking. It was more observing what characteristics of people that I could tell were respected and resonated with those around them. And just on the contrary, what things did not resonate and trying to shy away from those. So, um... For me, you know, I think back to my earliest days starting in my um, career in natural resources, um, you know, which really dated back to when I was a teenager and uh, just had this desire. I'm not sure where it came from other than my parents always saying, hey, you know, we had six kids and say, you can do whatever you um, desire, follow your interests, but just make sure you do a, a great job. You know, that was the, the mantra. So, you know, all of us went and did different things. So I was the person that was really interested in, in nature and in wildlife and those sorts of things. So I ended up coming into the Forest Service while I was still a um, college student through one of those internship programs. I think it's Pathways now, but way back then it was like co-op education and started as a summer student. And my, so I, I went to Virginia Tech. I was a, a in the natural resources and biology program there. My first Forest Service job came from two African-American um, employees of the Forest Service. One of them was a, a graduate from my school who said, we are recruiting. We would like to find ways to have more African-Americans and other underrepresented folks come and work with the Forest Service. And I was 18 at the time. And um, I would have had to go from Southwest Virginia to um, East of Seattle, you know, in the mountains, east of east of Seattle, and I was totally ready to go. And when I was 18. My parents said, "No, uh, not not just yet." And uh, so I I had two summers as a clerk typist at Housing and Urban Development in Washington D.C. Skills I still use today. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. But uh, the second summer, when I turned 19, my parents said yes. So I took off. And I didn't know anything about the Forest Service. I just knew I wanted to work outdoors. And that first summer um, was my first experience of, of, of having people who cared about me being successful in what I you know, eventually saw as being in the, this mentor relationship. Um, I didn't know anything. You know, I was an East Coast African-American female work, wanting to work in forestry and natural resources and got dropped into you know, a community that um, was in the height of the logging days just the height of it. And um, uh, I, I didn't, don't realize how important this was for my start, but I got placed on a, a crew of four women, you know, way back in 1981, you know, which is really, really rare. And I, I um, just credit, you know, and I look back and I think I'm really thankful that that was how my start was because it was a, immediately a group of people who were, you know, there for each other. And one of the women who, uh, worked in that department. I was 19 and she was 26. Her name's uh, Marsha Carney. She just kind of took me under her wing. You know, she saw me show up and they're like, you got the wrong boots. You know, <laughs> you, you, you brought, you, you bought like a $10, it rains all the time out there. You bought like a $10 rain gear. The first time I went out in the field, it literally shredded off my body <laughs> in the rain, walking through the brush and everything. You know, so they, they just worked on getting me set up and saw that I knew nothing, but I was incredibly interested and passionate about wanting to be out there. And I did everything. You know, I went and fought, learned how to fight fire. I, you know, called spotted owls. I tromped across all these hillsides. Just loved every second of it. Um, and um, I uh, saw that they cared about me being successful. You know, and this one woman, and she's still my dear friend today. I call her my second mom. You know, like the second, you know, grandma to my kids and all of that. Um, I, I wouldn't have come back unless I knew that they cared about me being there. And so that was the, the very start, you know, a person like landing on Mars, 
and wanting to be successful. Then I started getting more in depth into my technical um, career, and my mentors changed through my whole career. You know, so my 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 first ones were really around my supervisors, and I was fortunate because I had supervisors who really cared about me being successful, learning about fisheries, learning my way in up, you know, in the Forest Service, which is still you know predominantly male, although we we were making great success with women succeeding in, in leadership, um, and in in mostly rural places. So um, I. I, as a very introverted, shy, different person, um, would, in, in my way, just make sure that I was connecting with people and that they saw and understood that I wanted to be, um, I wanted to learn and, and wanted to be successful. So my mentors that I've had have, have started out being my supervisors. And then as I got deeper in and I got more confidence about understanding the culture and the agency, then I was able to explore more and, um, uh, land into some um, mentoring relationships that were people who were doing work that I knew I wanted to do in my future. You know, so what is your life like? Um, I want you to know and understand what where I am now and where I want to go. And folks are really receptive to that. You know, and that had nothing to do with like a formal formal mentoring program. It's really about um, how do people care about each other and care about each other's success. You know, what can you with your experiences teach me? Like all of you in this room, you could be in mentoring relationships right now because there's always someone. You know earlier or in a different place that are, are curious. So um, later on was when I had more women mentors, but predominantly, you know, because the people that were there were, um, uh, you know, some women, but also mostly um, white males, but very, very um, cognizant of two things. One is that it takes extra effort for people who look like us to achieve success because we carry two burdens. One is we got to be technically proficient and do our jobs well. And then the other is that we got to show up as um, someone who's always going to be viewed as the other and different, you know, and how do you hold that? Um, so now I'm, you know, 38 years in and I think about who are my mentors and uh, it's different when you get to this level, you know, because you're mostly in collegial relationships. All, everyone I mentioned that were my mentors, they're retired. I stay in touch with them and they still guide me, advise me, you know, but um, it's, it's different now um, as it relates to that. So my focus is predominantly on how I can, you know, guide other people. Um, so it kind of swaps that way. If, you know, if I look at what my career or work is going to be, you know, if I finish up with the Forest Service, I'll start looking. It's like, okay, who are doing the things that I want to do, you know, and what do I need to learn? So you have to allow that to evolve based on what your career stage is and what you need. But that part about understanding the culture that you're working in, I think Emily was recently talking about that too. Um, even though there's parts I resist about our agency culture and there's parts that I love, it's just you know important to have people who can help you be able to understand and navigate it and then from your own values be, up, be able to show up the way that you need. So, Very good answers, panel. I really <laughs> enjoyed that myself. Okay, so now the next question is, what advice would you give to people who are interested in developing a career in the federal government? <laughs> So, um, as an early millennial, uh, I will say that pursuing a government career, um, especially with the young people I work with now who are looking towards their career, mm -hmm. I'll speak in that, in that lane. Okay. Um, you have to know what you want out of a government career because there is so much passion in this future generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and as for myself, even though I didn't really pivot and, and walk into that with confidence until maybe midway through my career and embrace that, but there's so much passion to make an impact and really want to see um, mm -hmm. an impact on those maybe underserved or underrepresented communities, um, cultures, and demographics of our nation. So a lot of um, the future leaders, especially those who I mentor, there's such a passion for impact and um, the struggle I see with regard to retention is when they don't see um, <clears throat> the ability to quickly have an impact on a community or uh, the frustration with, um, you know, uh, just to be careful, the red tape or the processes and protocols. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to... Um, you know, that would be the first thing is uh, asking what is it that you desire if, if government or public service is your career path. Um, and know, <clears throat> really understand and know the role that you play when you come into government. Because our titles 
There's, I've been a program trainee, a program <laughs> analyst, a program specialist, now a program manager. And at each tier of that programmatic career path, um, I've had different decision-making access or authorities or, mm -hmm. um, or outright just, just decision support, but not necessarily part of the decision-making. And so knowing that there are different tiers in your government or, or, or public service career uh, where you can have, where you can actually make the impact. And so uh, I've worked in budget, I've worked in urban forestry, I've worked in fire. Um, I took a, a, a non-traditional path with my career because I learned the business of forest service and I learned how um, I can navigate the different um, resources and the budget and the opportunities and authorities that we have to make a difference on communities. And so I think that as um, young people come into the federal service, what we see more is the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. um, that's what they lead me in with. And so when they, <clears throat> when they do come in and they don't sit still beyond three years, um, I think that I actually empower the next generation to do that because I think that there's a need for um, if that's where their passion is, is to make an impact, they have to know the business as well as the technical, as well as um, be able to lean in on the policy and the legislative opportunities that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's where I spend the majority of my time talking about those interested in public service careers, um, knowing what it is that they want to get out of it, but also um, empowering them to touch on all these different aspects of what government service is. And there are those who want to walk the traditional line and they want to be a forester in USDA Forest Service in the National Forest System. Mm -hmm. um, and that roadmap is a much more, um, I would say that's more of a traditional way. Mm -hmm. And there's a clear path forward. But um, like I say, I'm in urban forestry. So my answer is, and my approach is slightly different because I am kind of that hybrid. I think uh, my program has been around about 30 years, which is fairly young. Um, right. And, and what's spun out of my career, my profession and, and my role as urban forestry has been those conversations around sustainability, um, a lot more conversations around community engagement. A lot of that has come into the lane of urban forestry because of the authorities and the, the people I'm able to touch. And so it is one of the bigger challenges of the federal government is how we interact with all the generations that we have in the workplace right now. So thanks for addressing that. Grizel? You're listening to Women in Natural Resources, Overcoming the Green Ceiling, a professional development seminar featuring Beatrice Wilson, Emily Blount, Monica Lear, Tina Terrell, Leslie Weldon, and Grizel Gonzalez. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Women of Color STEM Conference. Uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes. Well, if you're interested in the federal government working for the government, I'll say go for it. <laughs> we need to. Um, I have been working um, with the Forest Service for 19 years, and, and I have enjoyed all of it. Um, so if you want to get involved, um, I think the first thing I'll say is um, go to your nearest office <laughs> and, and try to meet people and volunteer there. Um, they might be a scientist, a professor, um, somebody um, that maybe you can relate to, and then you might want to start volunteering at a lab or a particular office. Um, that will get the opportunity for them to know them and for you to know the different programs that they have available at that site. Um, there are other programs where you can actually get more involved. For example, there are some internships available uh, through some organizations like the Green Youth Program Initiative, where as you're going through your degree studying, you can work for some hours and get the experience in a job. 
And after you graduate, the great thing about that program is that you can apply like if you were already within the government system. So you have your foot up <laughs> when you compete for those government jobs. Um, and this is uh, something I would recommend you to look into. Um, and then it, it is true that, that we work within our position descriptions and within our authorities. But, but I'll say uh, from the research perspective, really uh, the sky is the limit. We, we um, propose our own research questions and we have the freedom to, to deliver on those. So um, I, I don't feel limited and um, I also feel that I have the room to, to actually push it to um, other levels. For example, we have been able to uh, establish an arts and science collaboration. So that was a little different, um, but we brought artists into the workplace and designed uh, a program where we could interact with um, artists from Europe or the US, Puerto Rico, and it was a way where we could um, gain a different perspective by having this interdisciplinary uh, project. So um, I, I say that within some bounds, you have the freedom to, to make it what, what you like. Thanks, Christian. Well, so when I graduated from college, um, federal government was the last place I had planned to look. My father was, um, at the time, working in the, um, at an engineering squadron for the Air Force Base. And he says, oh, there's great jobs. Come and work for federal government. And of course, as most, it's like just the opposite of what your parents expect you to do. And I said, not going to happen, Dad. So I uh, took off and worked in the private sector for um, commercial developer. Uh, but then later in my career, when my son was born, um, you know, your, your priorities change through life. They certainly do for, for the right reasons, hopefully, uh, for some that are in your control and some that are not in your control. But I really wanted my son to grow up closer to his grandparents and, and have a relationship with his grandparents. So I started going back and looking at those jobs that were available within federal government. And so I guess I'll pause there and ask, how many of you are not federal employees? Is everybody? Okay, we have one that is not, okay. So my number one thing is understand USA Jobs because that is a very complex, um, better than it used to be, but still a very cumbersome um, database. And it, it takes some time to truly get into that and understand what all the different authorities are for hiring, um, what you may qualify for. Don't be afraid to take risk. Put, apply for as many different things that you believe you have either an interest in or that you have the, the skills and the knowledge or the education for. Um, and I say that many, many jobs out there clearly are engineering. If you have an engineering degree, you have to have a four-year degree and you have to be able to show that you do. Uh, but during my career, I took a step out of the engineering 801 series, for those of you, those 800 series is what federal government is for engineering. And I took um, a 300 series, which is even non-educational background requirement. Um, it doesn't matter what you've done in your career, you don't have to have a four-year degree in the 300 series. And people looked at me and thought, you know, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? You're a professional. Why would you step out of a professional series? But that program management series really opened tremendous doors for me. So having the knowledge, number one, of what the series are and the growth opportunities within the series, but also having, um, I wouldn't say courage, but realizing that it's still, it's a step up. It's a step outward and it broadens your ability to uh, manage programs on a higher level. So part of it is getting into USA Jobs, and, and I think about what I'm going to do when I retire, and honestly, that's one of the areas I think is truly lacking, maybe with the community college system, just being that liaison to help people walk through that database. It doesn't mean one box gets unchecked and you get a, you know, a negative result back, and it's very, can be very, um, not demeaning, but uh, you, you, frustrating. <laughs> a lot of words come to mind, but frustrating is a good one. Um, so that's a, a path that I think is, is definitely needed. But once I got into federal government, at that time it was the BRAC realignment and all the military bases were closing down. And so to get into one was so competitive because people had priority status. But don't give up. Keep trying. Keep trying. I started federal government as a term not to exceed one year. 
but at least I got my foot in the door and people you know, knew me now and, and saw my abilities. And when positions did come open, uh, they actually came across and said, you'd be a good fit for this and apply. Another thing I would say is don't be afraid to, um, to get again out of your comfort zone and move to that next level, even if it's within a different agency or organization. Uh, I've been uh, blessed to work for five different federal agencies and in each one there was so much to learn and so much um, uh, growth opportunity. Uh, federal government values higher education. I was able to get my master's almost 100% paid for as I mentioned getting your professional engineers time during the workday to study for that exam. Uh, I had the ability to go overseas for six months and work on a special, special project. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of growth growth opportunity within federal government and value that um, federal government puts on the employees. So it may be at a, in some regards, not as competitive on a pay scale when you want to look one for one, um, but with the other opportunities that are, are presented as well as the, uh, the leave opportunities, as I mentioned, the ability to work um, home life balance. I shared a job with another engineer for seven years during my career when my son was young and I was able to have a lot more time with him uh, personally, you know, with his sports and things. And that was something that they embraced. Uh, we kind of pioneered that at the time. Um, two females pioneered that at the time, but it is something that is, uh, is allowed and there's a mechanism in place for that. So there's a tremendous value. And as I heard my colleagues say, we need fresh ideas in federal government. We desperately need them. So don't get frustrated and let the system um, keep you from continuing to try and apply. And I, I sincerely mean it. If you have questions once you get in that, I have about three or four young college individuals I'm mentoring right now just to get through the paperwork. Um, so please reach out to me. I would welcome that. Thank you, Emory. Good point. Thank you. A <clears throat> um, couple of things I would share about um, your federal career or, or considering one is, um, uh, you know, I, this is a STEM conference, you know, and within the federal government, you know, I think there's more uh, diversity and types of, of mission uh, activities that go on, you know, that, that are really exciting, you know, when you think about all the different services and outcomes that um, these federal agencies are, are providing and the amount of um, learning and exploration that can, can happen across that. Um, so, you know, being able to uh, appreciate and, and find, you know, find your own exploration and discovery across all of these different missionaries, especially in the science, tech, engineering, and math side of th things. Um, for a lot of that, the federal government is a place where those opportunities kind of emerge from um, in collaboration with a lot of other private, you know, educational type institutions. Um, another thing about working for in the federal government is, uh, and I tell this to people all, all around me, is that, you know, check things out, you know, pick your bosses, I always say that, you know, rather than um, only, you know, looking at what that next opportunity is, it's always important to learn about what's the quality of life that employees within that organization <laughs> have, and usually it has to do with your boss, it used to, usually it has to do with, um, you know, what the values are that drive the way people work together. Um, and so it always advise you to, to do that. The other thing, you know, sometimes it feels like it's very difficult to get things done within the, the federal government. Um, you know, so, so, you know, knowing that there's, you know, complex systems, sometimes they feel very, very bureaucratic. Sometimes they are, you know, <laughs> as in, you know, what, you know, why, and you're not the person to be able to say, um, to change this. Is this, is being, um, having perseverance, I guess is what I would say, you know, and, and a real sense of resourcefulness. That's the thing about like, how does things get done around here? If you don't uh, find out, then you won't get much done. Uh, part of that is through, through relationships, and a lot of times it's through relationships that you can do that. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, of course, these days, like the last several years, whether from out of the last administration and this, there's that whole kind of roller coaster you get on as it, relates to the way that um, the federal workforce is perceived and conveyed, you know, when we have shutdowns and we have, you know, some of our um, leader voices, you know, um, not seeing the value of what we do. Um, you know, so it's all very personal, you know, it's all very personal about what you do in your place, you know, what the impact is and how do you make sure that you're making a difference ultimately for all the, the taxpayers that are, that are uh, paying your salary. 
Others have mentioned about opportunity for sure. You know, I, I have a person that has had my whole career within the USDA Forest Service and um, have served in, um, I think, 13 different roles, all of which were quite distinct from each other. I never had two jobs that had the, the same responsibility. And so um, I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm like a, I don't know what I am, but I'm not a boomer. I'm like an Xer or something. I don't know anymore. You know, yeah. <laughs> but that whole thing about you know wanting to keep exploring and doing different things is is what I had. But I I was able to find that within the the Forest Service, and I think it's like that in other organizations too. You know, so what are these arcs of of connections on using your learning, growing to the next thing that you can do? You know, within one organization, um, took some you know moving around to different places uh, and, and that sort of thing, but. The ability to um, uh, have have multiple high impact experiences, you know, within the federal government, I think, is something that's really really attractive. And you keep the you know that sense of stability um, as far as what you know your you know frame of working is when it comes to being a federal employee. I found that to be helpful. And you know, I've got two sons, and they both um, work for the federal government as as well in natural resources and. Are having great careers and are in that place where they are exploring lots of different things. So. so, panelists, thank you very much. Let's give them a hand. Did a great job. So we have some time left for questions and answers, and so um, for questions. So don't be shy. Please step up to the mic and ask a question, and let all of these really great people <laughs> give you some more advice. Hi, my name is Coral Tucker. I work for Argonne National Laboratory as an environmental engineer, and it's operated by the Department of Energy. Mm. And thank you all for sharing your advice and stories. And I'm inspired to seek additional mentors, but I'm wondering, what's your approach for asking someone to be your mentor? I could start on that one. Um, you know that you know we talk about formal and formal mentoring programs and informal, and I kind of tend to like the informal part of it better. You know because it leaves you in control of looking around to say who are the, who is someone you know that I would like to learn more from or that I'm curious about um, first and foremost, rather than what can that person do for me. You know so your point of entry is is really important. But um, what I've what I have found this is what I did. Um, I just kind of sidled up to people and say, hey, you know, um, can I spend a little bit of time with you? I, I'm, I, I'm thinking about these things in my career, you know, both for being successful in my current job and where I want to go. And I see that, you know, you are a person who, who's had some different experiences. I've you know, heard you speak. I've heard, you know, I've seen you interact. And I'd like to just see if we can get in a conversation and then just make an appointment with them. 99% mm -hmm. of the time, they're just like, I would love to talk to you, you know. And so you have to just, um, you know, make a little bit of plan. It might be, and then you can find out in that conversation, you know, what you see as a potential in that relationship, you know, because you get to pick who your mentors are. It's always the best, you know. So that's what I would offer up around it. If anyone else has to say, I would just add, um, as I mentioned, coming to the Forest Service and seeing a more structured mentoring program, and we also have a very robust leadership program, mid-level leaders senior level leaders. Um, I, I was approached a couple times to be a mentor, um, to be a mentor, uh, the mentee. For the, and it was almost as if I needed to just check this box because it was part of my leadership program. I have to find a mentor. Will you be my mentor? And I would say that obviously is not the best way to come about it is to do a little bit of that inward searching. You know, what is it from your perspective do you think maybe you need um, some further growth in, our areas of interest in, or areas that you're hesitant to pursue and why. So do some soul searching first and, and kind of develop those thoughts and then um, observe who are some of the people that may emulate that or you think are in a position that um, are respected and their peers look to them for advice. And just as Leslie said, just go up and ask, but be willing to share why you want to mentor and some of the things you would want to get out of them. So that personal touch goes a long way. I could add one more thing on that. Um, you know, being where I am now, there's people who come up to me, you know, and they're, they're really, like, worried about, I don't, wanna, I don't want to, you know, take up too much of your time, that sort of thing. And 
but uh, when I look across what you know makes me feel sat satisfied, you know, because sometimes uh, it does take a long thing, time to get things done in the federal government, is that the quality of those relationships you can get in, you know, they they help they help you kind of like um, uh, build your confidence, but also to build that sense that okay, you know, this is going to happen, we can do it, um, and that sort of thing, um, and so. Uh, once you find a person um, and you have that feeling, you know, after being in a couple of interactions with them, then sometimes it's really formal, will you be my mentor? Or you can just say, would you mind if I just call you every, you know, every now and then, you know, to, to, mm -hmm. if I have, you know, to kick some ideas or just check in and let you know what I'm doing. And that's enough too. So, you know, it's just how you use those words, but, you know, mm -hmm. what is that re relationship? Because it doesn't have to last forever. You may find you know, for that period of time, visiting with someone for three times is great. And then it's like, you know, you know, maybe I'll go and visit with somebody else now. So that kind of thing. And I would add, um, just to sort of wrap this up, when you meet mentors, they can help you expand your network and find other mentors. So be open to that possibility too. And I think Emily said, you know, you want to make sure that you tell them what it is you're looking for and what it is you need help for because they know a lot of other people that they could recommend um, you to as well. I think that that's a really good point. So my name is Catalina Martinez, and I work for NOAA. Um, and I've, I've been very fortunate. I've been 18 years in NOAA. Um, I'm very fortunate having mentors in a variety of areas throughout my career, um, but also champions and allies. And those relationships are different. And as I mentor in a lot of formal and informal ways as well all the time. And at this point in my career, I feel like that's some of the most important work I do every day mm -hmm. um, is mentoring that next generation. But mentoring and championing and allyship uh, are three very different things. I sometimes combine them depending on what uh, the circumstances are around a particular person that I'm working with. Um, and sometimes it's one or the other. They all take time. Um, I think when we are one of the only in our agencies, we're often the ones that people will, you know, come to or people will point to um, to be in those roles. So my question to all of you is, um, how do you find a balance? Sometimes, um, you know, the, the phone never stops ringing, the emails never stop coming in. I go through different periods with that. And, and I never say no. I can't imagine not being there for these folks. So how do you find a balance with that? I can only imagine within the Forest Service it's a similar um, situation. Thank you. Yeah, I, maybe I'll start with this mm -hmm. one. Um, yes, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. I think that um, we have a lot of people um, who are different working at all levels of our uh, agencies, right? But as you sort of move up the ladder and you're a lot more visible, then um, I don't know if I would say that I never feel like I can say no, but I always want to be very thoughtful about the time. I mean, I'd have a lot of time, but I want to be very thoughtful about the time that I spend with people who approach me because I feel like, you know, if they've gotten the courage to come and approach me to ask me um, a question about whatever it is, you know, it could be any number of things, right? Um, you know, I think it's, I kind of feel like it's my responsibility to carve out a little bit of time at least to see if I can um, answer that question or point them in a particular direction. Um, just like you said, you probably have a lot of mentors at every stage. Like, um, I don't remember who said it, but we have leadership programs at every stage of our agency. So when you come in um, mid-career and at the senior level, so you just have, you have a lot of, um, you're gonna know a lot of people in your network. and so. I can definitely spend a little time, and if I get to know what it is they need and the help they need, then I can offer them another person that I think would be, you know, someone who could really spend a lot of time with them and give them that specific thing that they're looking for. Okay, so I will say I can chime in because I've been on both sides of the spectrum, the mentor and the mentee. Um, well, one of the easy things I do is I always have no less than four blocks on my calendar a week for 30 minutes each that's just called coffee. Um, and so whether that's a phone call, um, me texting somebody virtually, because I do work with a lot of um, minority serving institution students who are interested in agricultural or natural resources or conservation careers. Um, it could just be a matter of me text messaging back and forth, but 
the ability to be completely present in that 30 minutes is what's important and not trying to do things on the fly. So I do take advantage of technology. Um, and then also there's the, um, the village that I've created around me, the circle that I have. Sometimes I know that there is somebody who may be, who may have time to be more present in the space that they're looking for mm -hmm. assistance in. Um, and so it's nothing to do um, to actually make the connection and the handoff. Uh, but also make myself available if they have to, you know, if it didn't work out. But a lot of times I'm, I'm very, very strict about my circle. So, um, <laughs> you know, if I, if I hand you off to somebody, I trust that they're going to take good care of you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's also important as well is for mentors to also have a village of other mentor potential, high potential people who you know have the heart for this type of service because that's really what it is. Um, and so, like I say, structurally, I try to have at least four blocks of 30 minutes for coffee. And I tell them, you know, it, it could be in a pantry, it could be a walk outside. But like I say, it could be just me in a corner texting somebody for 30 minutes. But I need to be completely present. And so, um, and I don't overextend extend myself. I'm, I'm completely honest with uh, anyone who comes to me. If I really, truly don't have time, then I'm going to say it, you know, can we wait three weeks? If it can't wait three weeks, then I'm going to find you somebody that can address things right now. So um, I, I think that's the best that I could do. Like I say, you know, you have your responsibilities as, a, um, as an employee, but also you have that passion for that next generation or for anyone who may come to you and you want to make sure that you can serve them how they want to be served. I wish I could be that disciplined. <laughs> uh, sometimes I come to work and I have this to-do list and, you know, things for like a whole week. And, and then it, it turns out that um, that day there, there are people that just want to check in and, and, and talk. And um, maybe for a minute there is like a little pushback. But uh, I feel like Monica um, just then... I just have to say to myself, I need to disconnect and, and really take the time to, to sit and talk to these people uh, and try to be present because there's a reason why. And I feel that is part of my job. That's my duty um, as a leader. So I, I make myself available and then depending of what's the, the follow up, then bring them to other people that can give them the details. Mm -hmm. I'll just add, I mentioned coming up, it was more observing people. That's how I've, I tried to grow as a leader myself. And, and what we do in the Forest Service, which I think, again, is fantastic. We have a wonderful shadowing program. And so someone would shadow you for the day or for a couple of meetings. And part of that is just them observing you and seeing how you're interacting in some of these tough situations. So it's a form of mentoring. Um, they can afterwards follow up, you know, well, how, how was it that you handled the situation this way? But um, so it's not taking out a 30 or 40 minute block one on one. It's more they come to the meeting with you and they see how you interact with individuals. And I found that to be um, really fulfilling uh, to follow up afterwards and have those conversations. Just to finish up, one of the things I observed was um, there's kind of an op opportunity to cross connect people. And so one, one of the things I, I um, did was uh, set up a, you know, every five or six week call and invited like 12 people who I was having conversations mm -hmm. with. And we just, you know, whoever was available, we got on the phone together. And so it did a couple of things, you know, it really just kind of gave, gave space, but it also started making connections between people, you know, so that they could see that, oh, you know, there is someone else you know, going through that I could probably talk to, you know, so how, how through, you know, all those one-on-one -on -one relationships, can you grow that into some more in different networks that en enable, you know, the value of um, those interactions to be kind of spread out a little bit more and some new, new nodes of connection to be developed that can also be, be beneficial. Any other questions? Everyone can ask all the questions you I know. Want. We, have, we, have like, we have about 10, <laughs> 10 minutes left, 10 minutes. so yeah. Step up and ask a question. Well, while you're thinking of a question, I'll just give another uh, aha moment I had jumping from the private sector into federal government. When I was working private sector, it was multi-million dollar construction projects and uh, a lot of different vendors, the banks I mentioned, and my project folder um, you know, was basically an inch or so thick, and I'd refer to certain documents as I went about my business. And then I went to work, as I said, for the Department of Defense and the Air Force, 
and my project folder was about three <laughs> feet thick. And I thought, how can this be? This project is like $200,000. How can it possibly be this thick? I had reams of paper. And it's, it's truly was frustrating. Um, some of it was, uh, well, the majority of it was regulated, of course. There are a lot more regulations that we follow in federal government and a lot more accountability. We are the, representing the taxpayer dollars, and we should be accountable. But some of it was just the way we did business. And so you know, when you get in and you start realizing how business is done, don't be afraid to, to ask, not in a demeaning way, but, but why, why are we doing it this way? And I, perhaps would this be um, cut out a couple steps? Is there a reason these steps couldn't be cut out? And, and, and keep digging. You know, Don't just take it at face value. Well, we have to do it this way because the boss said, well, but, but help me understand why. And, and if you can do that and start peeling that streamlining government is so desperately needed and people who have gone in the private sector first and come and come to work for federal government, um, some things you can't streamline without the Washington office level and your congressmen and others getting in, but a lot of things are self-induced. And, and I would just ask people to really look hard at how you do business and ask those questions and a professional wanting to know uh, why to help make it better. So I, um, I'm Lisa Perez. I work with the Forest Service here in Detroit, and it's been my pleasure to help. Uh, the program I'm with is to help connect folks in Detroit, the Southeast Michigan area, to both nature in their backyards, as well as up on national forests, and possibly introduce them to career opportunities. Um, and so I guess one of the questions I would have for you all is if, um, for an individual who's in a high school in Detroit that has found that connection with nature, what would, be, would you recommend their next step be? We talked about that organization. Yeah. I, I'll say um, if they are looking for a career um, um, related to natural resources, um, go to the universities um, and try to get a degree um, that they can uh, then bring into their workplace. Uh, for example, into biology, um, geology. There, there are different areas, actually, that they can, they can bring in. And um, go to their offices, go to, to the Forest Service nearby, and, and see how they can, they can make that connection. I'll add, I just posted on my Facebook, I stole it from the National Force Service website, but there are summer jobs right now, huge hiring initiatives taking place for temporary summer employees. Um, so at all levels, high school, college, uh, there is there's so much need for volunteers within our National Forest, and some of these are paying jobs, some of these are not. Uh, but go to the homepage, look at the website, go to the USA Jobs, look at which ones you're you're qualified for. But you know, they, all walks of life, all different degrees, no, no degrees, different skill sets, just an interest. Um, it, it's really a wide open area right now. What I would add is um, we have some excellent uh, partnership organizations that work with us that are really focused on um, giving a space and a place to make connections for those people who are you know, just stepping in. You know? So being able to connect with things like um, uh, Mobilize Green, uh, Greening Youth Foundation, mm -hmm. Student Conservation Association, um, uh, as as entry points for connection, and then just the whole area of conservation service corps. Some of them start at that high school age. Um, youth Conservation Corps. The Forest Service hosts some um, summer camps. You know, like mm -hmm. eight weeks, where a residential camp is there. We recruit people from all over the country, young people, to be parts of those, um, and then that can lead into other. You know other experiences and with our authorities that we have they create bridges to be able to um, connect with college and then eventually be able to um, have some step up and competing for entry-level jobs so I mean those are all great ways to be able to do that so uh, and I'll just add that a lot of times um, our career in our industry isn't the most present in high schools and in, mm -hmm. in, in grade schools so uh, I would advise that young person to go immediately to their school counselor 
And the reason I say that is because we do have relationships with partners who have established relationships with the educational system. And so sometimes for USDA, for example, that may not be a Forest Service person um, or any of our nonprofit partners who are local. It could possibly be um, USDA's Extension Service, um, which is a totally different agency, but they are in under the one USDA umbrella. They're aware of the various agencies who have the various types of roles and jobs and career fields. So that's also another uh, opportunity for the young person because a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I'm from rural Louisiana, so I just didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but going to a high school counselor, they, you say a field, they often have that aha moment, like who do we know? Um, and so that's also another uh, point of advice I give a lot of high schoolers and, and grade schoolers is um, make sure you keep your school counselor abreast of anything you're interested in because it's our responsibility to get those opportunities in the hands of the folks who already have those established relationships because, um, you know, it's not like it used to be where anybody could roll up to any school and give a presentation. Um, a lot of times those relationships uh, are solidified at the uh, boards of education um, and, and we have to abide by those rules, but yeah, so. Um, and, and it's our responsibility, putting an onus back on us is to make sure that we're putting uh, the materials and opportunities in the hands of those who have those relationships. And then the, the one thing that I don't think you all have mentioned is we, we do have um, some job core centers um, that help train people in, in a, a number of professions. And so um, also they are able to um, complete GEDs at that level. So there, there are a lot of opportunities within the Forest Service or federal government writ large for people to, to find opportunities to excel. Are there any other questions? So thanks so much for coming to our panel. We really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Women in Natural Resources, Overcoming the Green Ceiling, a professional development seminar presented by the U.S. Forest Service, featuring National Program Manager Beatrice Wilson, Assistant Director of Engineering Emily Blount, Station Director Monica Lear, Associate Deputy Chief, Tina Terrell. Chief Executive, Leslie Weldon. And Research Project Leader, Griselle Gonzalez. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.